Good morning, Parkway Church. So glad you're here with us as we kick off the series, Above All Else. Welcome, Internet Campus. Welcome, Parkway Victoria. We are so glad you're here. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. And it is my privilege week in and week out to open God's Word with you and to grow together and to see God move in our midst. Today we are kicking off a series where we're going to talk about our priorities We're going to talk about the focus of our lives and how if we choose the right focus and set the right priorities, namely, if we learn to love Jesus and serve Jesus and depend upon Jesus above all else, then we will build our lives to honor God and we will build our lives in such a way that it's a pleasure to live them and God uses us and God God works in our midst in visible ways, in truly remarkable ways. And we're going to look together at the book of 1 Timothy in this series. You know, we're on a journey through the Bible together. We're about 18 months into the Bible. We've looked at the Old Testament. We've looked at the Gospels. We've looked at the letters to the churches. And now we're transitioning to Paul's letters to very specific people. The first letter we're going to read together is written to a man named Timothy. How awesome would it be to receive a letter not just to a group, but to yourself from the Apostle Paul. Paul has been shipwrecked, literally, because he was on a journey with Jesus. Paul was imprisoned and was persecuted because of his faith in Christ. And here, Paul is writing a letter personally to Timothy. So we're going to read together as we study 1 Timothy, Paul's teaching to a young pastor. See, the Apostle Paul was aging at this point, and he was passing the baton to his, his mentee that was serving in Ephesus. And so we've got an aging pastor, Paul, Apostle Paul, investing in and caring for the younger Timothy. I got a little taste of that this week. I got to spend some time this week with the founding pastor of Parkway. His name is Scott Weatherford. Do y'all remember Scott? Great guy. I love Scott. And we were sitting there doing ministry and doing life together this week. And I looked at him and I said, this is exactly what I'm preaching this week. We've got an aging pastor who once was a part of the church. And he has passed the baton down to uh, uh, the next generation. And this is exactly what I'm preaching. And right now, Russell's preaching at Parkway Lone Tree. And he's like, you know, I get to hang out with Mike, the aging pastor. And I'm the young pastor. And this is exactly what I'm preaching. But we see what Paul writes to Timothy is advice that every believer can pick up on and run with and apply to their life. Here's what I believe about all of us. I believe you want to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I believe that you want God to be the center of your life, to be the center of everything that you're about. I believe you want God to be your provider and your sustainer in life. I believe you want God to change the parts of you that aren't like him. I believe that you want to do what God has called you to do. And you want for God to show off in your life. I believe that about you. And I believe that as we study God's word together, that we can learn how each one of us can live that life where we love Jesus above all else. And look and see how that life that loves Jesus, second to none, how that life changes us and changes how we see the world. So let's jump in together. We're going to look at 1 Timothy 1, verse 12. 
Paul writes this. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. So Paul starts out early in his teaching to Timothy to say, I am thankful for what God has called me to do. And I am thankful for the life that I'm living. When's the last time you looked around and just thanked God for the life that you're living? Maybe you're busy raising kids. God, thank you that I get the pleasure of raising these kids. Maybe you're hustling and trying to get the the job you want and trying to keep food on the table. And you're like, God, thanks for the hustle. Maybe your life right now isn't about the mundane and about the simple steps of raising family. Maybe you've got some big questions that you're asking and looking for God's direction on. When's the last time you looked around and just said, God, thanks? Because the life that loves Jesus above all else starts with being thankful to Jesus because he has given us life. And Paul says, I I thank you, Christ Jesus, my Lord, and that he considered me trustworthy of his calling, that he considered me one that he could appoint to his service. Paul had this attitude that I'm going to be thankful and I'm also going to be expectant that God's working through me and that God is going to work in me. There's this attitude of thankfulness and there's this attitude of expectancy that we're going to see throughout Paul's words to Timothy. And I want to encourage you, church, if you take one thing away from today's message, it's that you and I should live with a sense of expectancy. Expectancy that God's grace works expectancy that we're empowered by God's Holy Spirit as believers, expectancy that God has a map for our lives that is determined by how we love him and how we love people. I would hope that you would leave today with this expectancy that God can move and God can work and God can can sustain and God can lead me to love him above all else, that you would come to expect what I actually believe is true about you and your desire to love God and to follow him. Because Paul says, I just count it a pleasure, God, that you would consider me worthy of your calling. I consider it like mind-blowing, God, that you would consider me one who could serve you. But that's what Paul did with great expectancy. So I want to test your expectancy real quick. You know, Christy and I lived in Washington, D.C. for eight years. From 2000 to 2008, we lived outside of the nation's capital. And there were a few times in that eight-year period where I got to do some really, really cool things. One of the things we got to do together was a White House visit with Christy's entire family. I leveraged a relationship that I had, and a friend got us a tour of the White House. And as it was scheduled, it just so happened to be a day when George W. Bush, President Bush, would be landing Marine One on the White House lawn. And so not only would we get to tour the White House and see the West Wing, but we would actually get to shake the president's hand. And as we were preparing for this presidential visit, they gave us a list of protocols like things we had to make sure we did right as we greeted the president. There were things we couldn't bring to the White House. There were certain dress codes. So I remember as I was getting ready, I was tying that tie, looking in the mirror, and I looked over to Christy and I said, 
you might not see me for a while. She said, what? I said, you might not see me for a while, and I might have to go. And she said, what? I said, yeah. I said, when President Bush shakes my hand and looks me in the eyes, he's going to raise that rope, and he's going to say, son, let's fix the country together. That's what I was expecting. And I said, I'm just telling you, Christy, if he lifts the rope and says, let's do it, I'm gone. So we meet and greet the president. He didn't lift the rope. In fact, Secret Service made sure I didn't lift the rope either. <laughs> he talked to Christy's grandmother about what North Texas is like and Grayson County because he loves the people of Grayson County, and that's where she was from. He didn't invite me to serve that day, but if he had, there would have been an extra room in the minivan on the way home. See, I had this expectancy. One of the other things I got to do as like living outside of D.C., one day I got invited to go to a football game. It was between the Washington Redskins and God's team, the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> and the Redskins were whooping up on the Cowboys. It was one of those once-in-a-decade type of beatdowns. By the third quarter, we were down like 35 to 3. And I was looking at my buddy, the cold rain, wind, and I'm like, you ready to go? He's like, I'm ready to go. You know, never once in that game, as the Cowboys were struggling so badly, did I ever expect that the voice would come across the loudspeaker and say, you in the cheap seats, row H, seat 9. Yes, you, Michael Brian Hurt. Please come to the sidelines. You're now in the game. Like never ever did I expect that when I was sitting at the game. And now you got to know, I used to be one of the best athletes that walked into any room I walked into. I mean, they were all bowling alleys, but still, I was the best athlete that walked into any bowling alley in South Texas. You know, bowling's my kind of sport. You exercise for 30 seconds and eat french fries. It's awesome. <laughs> but never, ever did I expect to be called into the game while I was sitting in the stands. Here's my question for you. As you look thankfully at the life that God has given you, and as you look amazed that God has called you to be a part of his service and to be used by him, are you expecting God to call you into the game? Are you expecting God to lift the rope and say, come on, let's get to work, first on you and then on everybody else? Are you simply comfortable sitting on the sidelines, watching from afar? See, I want to encourage you today to have the kind of expectancy that says, I am eagerly anticipating God's next step for my life. I am eagerly anticipating. I'm not a spectator to what God's doing. I'm an active participant with an expectation and an anticipation for what God will do. And you know why we have this expectation and anticipation and thankfulness? It's because of what God has done in us. 1 Timothy 1, 3 through 13 through 14. The Bible says this. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy 
because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Paul says, before I believed in Jesus, I was ignorant and didn't have faith. And this is who I was. I was a blasphemer. I spoke out against God. I was a persecutor. Paul actually rounded up the early church and would imprison them and would persecute them. He was a violent man. But yet he was shown mercy by Jesus. Verse 14. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me. How? Abundantly. The grace of our Lord is poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The reason Paul was thankful and the reason Paul expected God and was grateful that God would use him in his service is because God had already done so much in him. Here's what I want you to know. If God has worked in your life in the past, You can and should expect him to continue his work in the future. If God saved you from your sin a decade ago, he is just as faithful a decade from now. If you once were a blasphemer, if you once were a persecutor, if you once were a violent man or woman, insert your sin here because we've all had it. We all are caught and trapped and easily entangled in sin. Insert your sin here. If you once were that person, but you are now a child of God who's been given God's mercy, God has been faithful to you and will be faithful to you. And you should eagerly anticipate and have an expectancy of God's work in your life. If God worked in you once, he will continue his work in you. The Bible promises that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the very end of the age. So I encourage you, implore you, command you to love Jesus above all else because he has done so much in you. We love Jesus and serve Jesus above all else because of his grace. Did you see how his grace was given? It was poured out with unlimited supply. Do you realize that that there is no, like like you're never going to get to your relationship with God where you come to him and say, God, I need your grace again. And he's going to say, I'm all out. You're never going to show up to that window and say, God, I need some grace. And he's going to say, sorry, the last person got the last bit of grace. It'd be like walking up to McDonald's and them saying, sorry, I don't have French fries. Should never, ever happen. But God's grace never runs out. He can forgive the sin that you committed before you believed in Jesus, no matter how bad, no matter how damaging, no matter how much you regret it. He can and will forgive that sin. Unlimited supply of grace. And that sin that you commit, like I commit, after believing... What does God do for that? He just continues to pour out his unlimited, life-changing grace on you and on me. Not only does he pour out his grace, but he gives us his, his spirit. And our lives are, get, get it, they are empowered by faith. Paul says that along with grace came faith and love in Christ Jesus. Do you realize that your life, after you believe in Jesus... This idea of God has worked in me in the past and will work on me in the future. This life of expectancy and thankfulness. It's now empowered, not by your own willpower or won't power, 
but it's empowered by your faith in God. And Jesus says that if you have faith that's even as small as a mustard seed, you can move the mountain. Like you don't need big faith when you've got a big God. Because even the tiniest bits of faith and hope and trust and dependence upon God works mightily. You see, you have been empowered by faith. See, I'm like, where do I get one of those mustard seeds? Everybody hold your finger up. Can you see it? Well, it's smaller than we could see. If I took my readers off, I couldn't see the mustard seed. And yet God says, that's the type of faith. Some of y'all really were looking for the mustard seed between your fingers. It's not there. Now it is. No, it's not. Just play. You're like, that's not even funny. I know it's not funny. I don't, I don't tried. Let's keep reading. 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 17. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only loving God, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul's challenging us, first is the church, to put our full acceptance into the gospel. That we would believe the gospel and receive life and receive a new life. He's challenging the church to actually live the faith that they believe. Here is a trustworthy statement. You could put your whole life in this truth. God loved you so much that he gave his son for you, believer in Jesus Christ. And that gospel saves you and that gospel sustains you and strengthens you. He was raised again from the dead, believer in Jesus Christ, to remind us that we have a living hope. And we have a, a, a home in heaven that will one day be ours. Believer in Jesus, have you put your full hope and trust in the, in the gospel? It deserves full acceptance. Believe and receive. My heart breaks for the Christian that simply settles for the ordinary life not expecting God to change them, not expecting God to work in them, not expecting God to use them. My heart breaks for the church that doesn't put their full acceptance into the hope and life change and transformation that the gospel and grace of God offers. Oh, you're his kid. You're his child. And nothing can take that away. The only way that we become his kids, the only way that we know the promise of heaven is ours is by faith, by believing in him. That's the only way. You're his kid and no man, no woman, no situation or circumstance can take that away. But it breaks my heart when believers simply settle for being saved from hell and in heaven. It breaks my heart when believers live their life in such a way where they don't expect God to continue to work and to continue to change continue to move in them and grow them. It breaks my heart that they think that the moment they believe in Jesus, that's the last work of God that they need. Friends, we need the work and activity 
in the hand of God every day of our lives. And the promise of Jesus is that I will work on you and I will work in your life always. Friends, if you put your full acceptance there and said as a believer in Jesus Christ, I surrender my life to you. You gave everything for me. Now I surrender everything to you. If you've never believed in Christ, the Bible here says that God is patient. He is waiting because he doesn't desire for anyone to be lost, for anyone to experience separation from him, hell. He doesn't want anyone to pay the price and the penalty for their sins. He wants all to be saved, to be in relationship with him. He's patient. And maybe he's been wooing you, and maybe he's been calling you to believe, and maybe you're here in this place because a friend has invited you or because you saw a post on Facebook and you say, I want to go pursue that life in Jesus. He's patient. He wants a relationship with you. Would you believe today and receive life? Would you believe today and receive his spirit? Would you believe today and receive hope that nothing can take away and no one can change? Let's finish up 1 Timothy chapter 3. 14 and 15. Paul writes to Timothy, Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if, if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of truth. See, Paul's about to outline for Timothy what leadership and servanthood and life in the body of Christ looks like. And let me just make sure you, you know what you read when Paul described the church. Paul says, I'm going to tell you how people should conduct themselves in God's household. The church is God's household. It's God's family. It's the sons and daughters of God gathered together. That's the church. The church is not only the family of God. The church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. Friends, you are taught and you learn things through the church that you would never be taught and never learn anywhere else. Not every, let me rephrase that, no church is perfect, but what the church offers you is a place to be reminded of the foundational truths on which you should build your lives. See, the church isn't this dusty, old, musty-smelling place. The church is the living family of God that teaches and lives the foundation of truth. It's like a pillar in its community because of who it is and what it does in the world around us. Friends, as you look at your lives, what do you expect God to do? What do you expect God to do through our church and your involvement in it? Recently, I've had a lot of people sit in my office in tears some because they've done some things to wreck their lives. Some because they're at a reset point and they say, I want to do things differently in the future. Some because they're so overwhelmed by God's love and grace and mercy that they say, Pastor, I, I want to know, how can I love Jesus above all else? How can I know that I'm doing the right next thing? How can I know? So that's what I want to share with you. If we live in a world where the church is your place 
to be encouraged and strengthened. If we live in a world where you can expect God to move and to work in your life and through us as the family of God, if we live with that promise from God and that role of the church in our lives, what's your next right step? Well, the first one is this. If you want to see yourself love God and love Jesus above all else, you must connect to God and you must connect to his people. You must connect to God and you must connect to each other. If you expect God to move and work in your life, you must connect. We connect to God each and every Sunday through worship. As you walk into church, what's your expectancy? Do you expect that on any given week, God could move powerfully in you? In any given week, you could witness God work in someone else? In any given week, the Spirit of God could step in and teach you or train you or show you a new way to live. On any given week, anything could happen according to the power of God's Word and His Spirit in our midst. Do you walk into church with this expectancy, this gratefulness and thankfulness? Because here's what I know. When we connect with God and we connect people with God, life change happens. If you're pursuing life change in any place outside of your relationship with God, you are pursuing a, like, you're on a dead end. You are, you are going the wrong way on a one-way street because there is one way to see life change. And that's through connecting with God and connecting with his people. Paul told the church that the men of the church should be doing a very specific thing. 1 Timothy 2, verse 8. Listen to what the Bible says. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. See, what Paul is saying here is because when we connect with God and we connect with people, because life change happens then, Man, I want you to change your posture. You're not fighting for your position. You're not in conflict or disagreement with others. But because life change happens when we're with God, we're going to lift our hands and we're going to pray to God. We're going to lift our hands and we're going to connect with God through prayer and through worship. Some of you say, Mike, I can't worship. I can't worship. Let me tell you, every believer in Jesus can and should worship God with their prayer and with their voice. Tonight, it's faith and family night at the Generals game. And believe it or not, I get to sing the national anthem tonight at the beginning of the Generals game. That's something, isn't it? I mean, that's something. Apparently, it's not much. You guys do realize that everybody else is going to sing with me, but I will get to sing with that person who has talent and that person who has the microphone. You say, Mike, I can't sing. Neither can I. Neither can I. But I can worship. You realize that God doesn't ask you to have a beautiful voice to worship Him. Some of you can make an especially joyful noise that's more pleasing than any of the talented voices that any show on TV 
would put out before us. If you were singing on the voice before God, no one else but him would turn his chair to you. But God is pleased as men and women worship him. You can't sing, that's okay. You can worship him. Second thing, if you want to see God help you love him above all else, the second thing you must do is grow spiritually by loving God and loving people. See, we have a destination when it comes to what spiritual growth is as a church. Spiritual growth isn't just you learning more about God, isn't just you learning head knowledge, but it's about you living what you are learning. Your next step, if you're connected to people and you're connecting to God regularly in worship, your next step is to grow spiritually by loving God and loving people. And this only happens if you hold to to an expectancy that when I open the Bible and when I pray, God always works. If I know that every time I spend 10 minutes in the Bible, God is working on me, if I know that every time I spend five minutes in the Bible, God is using that word to transform me, then I will open my Bible and I will learn to love God and learn to love people. I will grow spiritually. That's why we encourage people to read the Bible on their own all the time. Because every time you open the Bible, God works. The Old Testament says that God's word will never, ever return void. Meaning, every time you open it, God's going to accomplish what he desires to accomplish in you. Every time you open it, you give God ammunition to to empower you to live by faith. You give God ammunition so that you will learn to love people and to love God. Every time you open it, it works. Here's what I know. If, If we hold to a low expectancy of God's word, then we will hold to an even lower usage of God's word. Let me put that in the positive. If you expect God's word to work in your life, you will open God's word and use it regularly. If you're unsure that God's word actually works, if you don't have a high expectancy, you will have a low usage when it comes to the Bible. Friends, if we're going to grow spiritually by loving God and loving people, we must expect that God works every time I open his word and every time I pray. Every time I trust God by prayer, God works. Oh, he might not work on my timetable. He might not work exactly as I ask, but God works every time I pray. And God works every time I open my Bible. So we're going to grow spiritually by loving him and loving people. See, Mike, I'm opening my Bible regularly, that Bible app. I earned a badge this week. I've got a reading streak. Mike, I'm opening my Bible. I'm learning to pray. Well, your next step is to serve others, to share the love and message of Jesus. You say, you know what, Mike, I want to love God above all else. Okay, I'm going to connect with him, and I'm going to connect with people, and I'm going to expect that life change happens when I do that. And Mike, I am going to grow spiritually. I'm going to open my Bible and pray, and I'm going to expect that God works every time I do it. So I'm going to do it often. 
And now, Mike, I'm going to expect that when I serve, and this is why we unapologetically ask every believer to serve, because you can have the expectancy that when you serve, you are a part of God's team. You are part of God's solution. You are part of God reaching and discipling people. When you serve, you're not volunteering at Parkway Church. You know why you're not volunteering at Parkway Church when you serve? Whether you serve a cup of coffee or you serve by handing out a bulletin, you serve by holding a baby or you serve by leading a small group. You want to know why you're not volunteering when you serve with a church? It's because you cannot volunteer for something that's already your job. Jesus says that we are to be servants. He says that we should be less and he should be more. He says that we should be last and others should be first. It's impossible for you to volunteer for a job that Jesus has already given you. And he's given all of us as believers in Jesus the job of being servants in the body of Christ, being servants in our community who share his love and who share his message with others. It's impossible for you to volunteer for a job you already have. I mean, think about it this way. If I went home to Christy, we've got two kids at home right now. One is working summer camp. If I went home to Christy and I said, you know what, today, I'm going to step out. I'm not going to be a volunteer dad anymore. I've been doing it now 19 years, most every day. So I'm going to step out of my volunteering role and I'm not going to be dad anymore. Can you imagine? Could, could you imagine? She's looking and say, you don't have a choice. You are dad. You must do it. You're not volunteering. It's your job. It's what God has called you to do. Well, church, if I can't stop being my kid's father, then you can't stop being a servant of Jesus Christ. You can't volunteer for a job Jesus already gave you. And then one more expectancy there, and then I'll move along. The reason that we unapologetically ask you to serve, because we also serve with this expectancy. When I lead others, God does more in me than he does in them. That's the expectancy that says, I'm going to lead a small group with kids, and God's going to do more with me than he does through me. He's going to teach me more in the Bible than I'm ever going to pass along to these kids. That's why I'm going to lead a small group with my peers because God's going to work more in me as I trust him in this way than he does through me. That's the expectancy. So we ask you to serve because we know that it's a great way for you to grow and to develop your love for God and your love for people. And then last one. See, Mike, I'm, I'm doing that. What's my, what, what do I keep doing? Well, keep doing this. Keep worshiping Jesus through faithful living and through generous giving. I always have to explain that generous giving part because that's something that we as a church want to model for our communities. That's something that we as a church want to be known for. That we serve a God who gave freely to us. So we give freely to others. If we ever have a choice between charging for an event or giving the event away for free, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give it away for free because we are the church that gives, not takes. One of the ways that we're giving, not taking right now, and hopefully by the fall, South Texas Children's Home will take ownership of two acres of property that we're giving them right by the fire station here at Parkway Victoria. Very cool, huh? 
They're building their very first 24-7 counseling center that they own. They're going to be able to serve like upwards of 80 to 90 people a day through the center that they're building, and we're giving them the property because we are the church that desires to give, not take. In, in the heart of the advisors and my heart and the heart of our pastors is that as the church sets that example, the church would learn from and live that example. Because our church could use the money. We want to build in Port Lauderdale. We could use the money that, to sell that two acres. It's not like saying, hey, we've got so much, we can just give it away. <laughs> no, let it never, ever be said that Parkway has so much, they can just give it away. But may it always be said, we're trusting God to provide for us. We're trusting God to be the one that gets the credit and the glory through our generosity and our dreams and visions for what he might do through our church. So we give gladly while we trust God completely. And we hope to model that so you as a disciple will do the same. We worship God through faithful living and generous giving. You know what the best thing you as a believer could do long-term? Live your life to please Jesus and keep doing it again and again and again and again. That if you're 30 years old, you've got your goal, hey, when I'm 60, I'm going to be loving Jesus just like I am today. I'm going to be doing different things, but I'm going to be loving Jesus. The best thing you could do long term is to say, God, the decisions I'm making today, I'm going to keep making those good, life-giving decisions because my goal is to love you and to worship you and to show the world who you are through my faithful living. Paul was once a persecutor. He was once a violent man. He was once a blasphemer. But as we look in the Bible, we don't see who he was alone. We see who God's grace made him to be. We see who God's grace changed him to be. May your desire and may my desire for all of our lives be, God, help me to love you long term. Help me to do what it takes for me to serve you and to worship you and to continue to grow in you long term because I want to love Jesus above all else. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open our Bibles and to learn and to grow together today. Help us to apply what we're learning. Help us to live it so that we are growing and so that we are strengthened by your grace. Empowered by faith and directed by love, God, help us. God, I pray for those that are gathered together that are searching for a next step. God, may they have the courage to take it. God, I pray for those that are hungry for something new and different in their life. Lord, may they say yes to you and continue to say yes to you. God, in this moment, as the church prays, I pray that they would come clean before you. I pray that they would up their anticipation and expectation of what you're doing in their life. God, I pray that the person they dream to be walking with you and loving you and serving you above all else, God, I pray right now that they might make some decisions 
to turn their dream into a reality. As the church prays, if you've never believed in Jesus, I invite you to make today your day. You can believe and find life that Jesus gives and no one can take away. If today's your day, you can mark it with a prayer. You can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.